Well, good morning. This, uh, this morning, I'm, before, we, before we pray and get into the Word, I just want to give uh, just a little teaching opportunity here. So um, one, of the, one of the reasons, if you stick around here for a while, you'll see we kind of go verse by verse through, through books of the Bible. One of the reasons we do that is, well, one of the reasons is because it, it guards the preacher from dodging stuff, okay? There's, the Bible talks about a lot of really hard things, and just... To talk about like what we're going to talk about this morning with the issue of divorce and remarriage, knowing how, how many people have, have been wounded by this, it's not, you know, you'd rather do a four-part series on let's be joyful and everybody, you know, why laughter is good for, for Christians and that kind of stuff. Um, but I just want you to know this is one of the reasons, because we believe that all of God's Word is important. So that's the reason that you'll see that we go through verse by verse through passages of Scripture because I know my heart and uh, I'm prone to want to avoid conflict and that kind of stuff. Um, and and God, God, though, knows that His Word uh, is what we need to hear, every bit of it. So um, just want, want to highlight one of the reasons that we do work through the Bible as we do is, is, is because of texts like this. So... Um, I'm going to ask that you would, would join with me now as we just ask God for help in understanding this, this, uh, this rich text and uh, that he would bless his word in our time together. Father, we thank you that you are a God who has spoken, that you have not left us here to, to wonder and to wander, but you have loved us and you have given us your word. And Father, this morning as your word comes uh, through me to uh, to me and to your people, we pray that you would guide it and guard it, that your spirit would, would fill us and protect us and give us ears to hear and give us hearts to believe and minds to understand. Father, many of us in this room have been hurt through divorce. Have Many of us sit around with, with shrapnel as it were all over us from what has happened even in our own families. So, Father, this morning we pray that your word would do what it needs to do. That it would bring comfort to those who need comfort. It would bring conviction to those who need conviction. And that above all, it would point us to the one who who our hearts long for, who is Christ. May we see him supremely this morning. Help Help us to hear from you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, this week I read about a pretty amazing couple that live in India. Their names are Karam and Katari. And what's amazing about them isn't just that uh, he is 107 years old and she is 100 years old. And it's not that they were wed through an arranged marriage, which they were. And it's not just that they have eight children and 28 grandchildren. Rather, what makes this couple so remarkable is the fact that they had been married for, take a guess, 87 years. 87 years, currently being confirmed by the Guinness Book of World Records to make sure that it's the longest marriage on record, but they they think that it is. Now, when asked how they they made it work for so long, they, they both spoke about how they enjoy spending time together and they had good communication and uh, how... He, in particular, loved to just make her laugh. He said, I'm not real good at romance, so I'll try and make her laugh. Karam, the husband, had many sweet things to say about his longtime bride, but concluded the, this particular interview by saying, 
I love her so much, I want to spend another 80 years by her side. Now, from heaven's perspective, that kind of commitment is, it's a wonderful thing. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. You've got a couple remaining faithful. Hand in hand, they intend until death do they part. Through every season, every up and down, every good time, every hard time. The world around us would, would probably say, hey, listen, that's, that is a, a sweet story. But the reality of, of that kind of marriage, not just because people don't normally live that long, but, but just the reality of being together that long, that's pretty impractical. It's thoroughly improbable, and it's pretty much impossible. Not everybody has that kind of relationship. Not all marriages are happy. Not everyone has something to laugh about. Not all marriages are meant to last, would say the world. Some people have come to the realization that, you know what, I, I love them, but I'm just not in love with them anymore. Some couples have said, you know, we started strong, but we just grew apart. They'd say, Marriage just isn't what I thought it would be. We seem to just fight all the same, have the same fight all, all the time. Finances maybe have caused friction. Sexual intimacy has ceased. Communication has died out. The kids have killed the joy. Trust has dwindled away. There's no more passion, no more fun. There's no hope. It's just one big dark valley. And and, and I've had people say this to me before. I know that God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. So we're just going to get a divorce. God wouldn't want me to live my life this way. So we're just going to go ahead and go our, our separate ways. Well, in our culture, divorce is viewed as an unfortunate yet inevitable reality for many. We know that there's pain and we know that there will be fallout in our own lives and in the lives of those that we love. But in the end, sometimes we say, getting a fresh start is a good option. In fact, one Chicago-based law firm uh, promotes this idea of, of the fresh start. And they, their slogan is, life is short, get a divorce. And their billboards that are plastered all over Chicago have pictures of half-naked men and women on them with that slogan, life is short, get a divorce, trying to, to help you to understand that you're missing out on some stuff because you're staying in this miserable marriage. Life's too short for that. We've got laws in our land that make divorce easier and easier. There's divorce party planners so that if you get a divorce, you and your buddies can get together and, and celebrate your liberation. And of course, there's all kinds of TV shows, including uh, you know, the divorce court, which if you've ever watched that, is a sad display of undermining marriage and belittling the consequences that come with divorce. But what does God say about divorce? Would God agree that, you know what, hey, listen, some things just weren't meant to be, and you guys should just get a fresh start. Life's too short. Or would God be so, so strict the other way that he would say, listen, marriage is one man, one woman until death do you part, no matter what happens ever. 
There's never a reason for divorce. Well, as we prayed, thankfully God has not left us here alone wandering on our, on, on our own in the darkness. He's given us his word. Matthew chapter 5 is where we'll be this morning. Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me there. It'll help you to kind of follow along as we're going to be going just kind of verse by verse. Matthew chapter 5. This section commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. You can follow along as I'll begin reading in verse 31, Matthew chapter 5. This is Jesus speaking. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, in case you haven't been here for our series in the Sermon on the Mount, let me just catch you up to speed as to what's been going on. In verses 3 through 12, Jesus lays out the characteristics of a kingdom citizen, someone who's born again. They're shown to have a, a heart that's, that's humble before God, who's willing to endure persecution, who hates sin, loves righteousness. And that kind of person is set apart in the world. They look different. He says they are salt and light in verses 14 through 16. That they, they radiate out and there should be something different about them that the world should see. And, and through that opens opportunities to tell about this Jesus. Jesus then also talks in verses 17 through 20 about the fact that though he has some radical teachings, like the ones that we're going to hear this morning, that he's not coming to get rid of the law and the prophets. But rather he says that he has come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He's come to live them perfectly and to explain them perfectly so that God's people will understand God's word. He's the true rabbi. And really the heart of the whole Sermon on the Mount is found in 520 where he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, who were kind of the religious leaders of the day, the poster boys, for everybody thought if you're trying to get into heaven, you want to be like those guys. He says, unless you're better than them, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And the reason is because those Pharisees, they, they focused on external religious stuff, but they missed the heart of God's commands. And Jesus said, external religious stuff is important, but it's got to be fueled by a heart that loves God and loves others. And I'm coming to address the heart behind all of God's commands. And what he does after verse 20 is he gives six different examples there in chapter 5 of you have heard that it was said this, but I say this. And what he's doing is he's simply correcting the interpretations of the Pharisees. You've heard this teaching, this is what you've understood, but this is what I say about it. And this is how it should change your life. That's been kind of the pattern for all of these. We're in this morning the third example that Jesus is giving of correcting interpretations of the Pharisees. So... We'll just follow that same outline there. Of First, we're going to look at what, what the Pharisees were teaching. Again, the Pharisees were the religious leaders. What was the understanding of the day? What, what were they teaching about divorce? Which you're going, to, you're going to hear pretty similar to some things today. Secondly, what does Jesus say about divorce? What's his take on what God said on Mount Sinai? And then thirdly, we're going to conclude with some, some common questions that come up 
whenever we're talking about the issues of divorce and remarriage. So that's, that's our outline. What was the common understanding? What did Jesus say? And uh, how should we think about some of the implications for some of us in here this morning? So let's begin. First, what were the Pharisees teaching about divorce? Look again at verse 31. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. This was a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 24. Um, Actually, verses 1 through 4 in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy uh, 24, 1 through 4, is a section that explains God's view, as it were, for the nation of Israel about divorce. I'm going to read for you just verse 1. It says this, says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. And it goes on to talk about what happens if she remarries and all those kinds of things. But for, for the sake of our, our context this morning, Jesus, there's, there's this debate about this particular phrase of what it means to find indecency in her. What, what, what does that mean? And then after, after that was found by the husband, he would, he would write her a certificate of divorce and send her, send her away, is what it says. Now, just a, just a couple things, because you could do a whole sermon on Deuteronomy 24, but just a couple things of what God was doing in Deuteronomy whenever he gave this, this command. The first, God is, is upholding marriage as something that is not to be taken lightly. It's not something that you just kind of you enter into and enter out of. It, it, is, it is something that if, if you're going to enter into, it is, it is a formal, official thing before God. And for someone to, enter, to exit out of it, it has to be an, an official thing. That's where he's talking about this certificate of divorce. And in that culture in Israel, there would have had to have been two or three witnesses that would have seen this. His point is this, that the marriage is not just like people trying on a new pair of jeans. You put it on, you take it off. It's not like that, but rather it's, it's an official thing. So these commands, it shows that. And it upholds marriage as something that's supposed to be honored. Another thing that that command did there in Deuteronomy 24 is that, is that it, it protected women. You've got to understand, the culture back in this day was very, very different than the culture that we, we live in today. And if a woman was sent out after being divorced, she would face a merciless culture. If she was sent out without a certificate of divorce, um, she would be mocked, she would be ridiculed, she'd have nowhere to go. She would just be viewed as unclean. And what God is doing is he's beginning to correct that thinking in his people. He wants to protect women so that they, they, they have at least some type of public protection for their life and their reputation. And the third thing that he's doing with this Deuteronomy 24 section is he wants to make it really clear that divorce is not permitted for just any reason. But rather, there is a particular reason. He says, if some indecency is found in her. Meaning, a man couldn't just divorce his wife for just any reason. Which was the common practice in the culture. If you just got tired of her, you'd just get rid of her. It was just just viewed as a piece of property, as it were. Which we would obviously say is, is, is wrong in every sense of the imagination. But, but of course, as you can imagine... 
there began to get this debate about, so what does some indecency mean? What, what constitutes this kind of indecency? In and that was one of the big theological debates that was going on in the first century when Jesus was around. You had basically these two rabbis who had two opposing views of the interpretation of Deuteronomy 24 and what the indecency thing meant. The first was Rabbi Shammai. He was a conservative rabbi who taught that the indecency was, was sexual indecency. And that the only provision that God gave for divorce was sexual unfaithfulness. Okay, so that was, that was his view. And then the other view was taught by Rabbi Hillel. He took a more progressive interpretation and said that the word for indecency had a, had a broader meaning. Um, so basically, it dwindled down that you could get a divorce for any cause. He said that a man could divorce his wife if, now this is a direct quote from him, if she spoiled his food by burning it or by putting too much salt on it. So if she messes up, she messes up your pancake breakfast, you can divorce her under his, his view. He'd say that's indecency. Rabbi Akiba, uh, who had a similar view, taught that a man could divorce his wife even if he found another more beautiful than she or if she simply lost favor in his eyes. So you've got that swirling around, and the Pharisees are there, and Jesus is there in this teaching. All of that is going on in the culture. That's, that's kind of the context. The one camp says divorce is only permissible if there's adultery. The other camp stretches the provision out to the, basically the broadest um, interpretation imaginable. And you could get divorced for basically any cause. And as you could probably imagine, most people went with the broader interpretation. That was what the culture liked and that was what they, were, they embraced. So that's, that's what the view of the Pharisees were. So now let's move to our second part, which is what did Jesus say about divorce? What did Jesus say about divorce? What, he, what did he say the correct interpretation regarding this uh, this matter of indecency was. Well, look again at our text, Matthew five thirty one. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let, her, let him give her a certificate of divorce. I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus says the divorce is a serious decision. And that to widen the provision beyond the grounds that God has given is a very dangerous step. Now to help us get a, a deeper, more full understanding of what Jesus' teaching is on this, keep your finger there for, for a moment, but flip over to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 19. So same book of the Bible, just over to Matthew 19, where here we're going to find Jesus having a conversation with the Pharisees about this very same issue, but we just have more teaching on it. Okay. Matthew chapter 19. I'll start in verse 1. It says, When Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. So Jesus is continuing his, his ministry. Verse 3. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? 
So notice there, the Pharisees, first thing to notice, are they coming up and with a humble attitude of, of, Lord, teach me? Is that what their attitude is there with Jesus? No. What, is, what do they want to do? They want to test him. They want to see if he's going to go against God's word so they can trap him and disqualify him and get all these people to quit following him around and start following him around again. So that's their motive. They want to trap Jesus, okay? which is always a bad thing to do. They came up and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, notice there, they're asking him what his take is on the Deuteronomy 24 controversy. Who are you with, Jesus? Are you with Shammai or Hillel? Which, which, guy, which, which rabbi are you with? So how does Jesus answer? Well, verse 4. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Notice there that Jesus goes back further than Deuteronomy 24. He takes them all the way back to where? To Genesis 2, to the Garden of Eden. He goes, you want to talk about the law? Well, let's go back to the very beginning. Let's, let's think about that. And also notice with that, um, verse 4, he says, have you not read? That's kind of like a little theological slap in the face. He's like, because these guys are supposed to be, you know, the experts. They're the ones who are like, we're going to trap Jesus. He's like, haven't you even read the Bible? Don't you even know what God has said on this? But he takes them back and he wants them to see here God's design. And as we read in verses 5 and 6, we see that, that Jesus says that marriage is, is between a husband and a wife and that they become one flesh. He's teaching here that marriage is a sacred union ordained by God in which a man and a woman come together as one until death separates them. And as we talked about last week when we thought about lust and adultery, this oneness of marriage is is deeper than a physical connection. It's deeper than just getting some new rings or now you're filing a, a joint tax return or now you've got one address. It's deeper than all of that. It's deeper than just having the same last name. Marriage, according to Jesus, is a deep, spiritual, God-ordained, God-sealed union. Adam and Eve were brought together by God in the first marriage as immortal people, meaning they weren't going to die because they were perfect people who were designed to be united together forever in this perfect bond of of love and marriage. And that is what marriage was intended to be. Two perfect people united together forever. Walking with God in the cool of the day. That's what marriage was intended to be. Well, if you've been on this planet very long, you've probably never met many of those perfect people. And you've probably never seen many of those perfect marriages. Because there are none. Because something happened to the design. And what happened to the design is that Adam and Eve sinned against God. They rebelled against Him. And because of that, a curse was brought on on the earth. So now all of us, we are born sinners and we choose to be sinners. That's, That's who we are. We're by nature sinners. So because of that, we don't live perfect lives. And that does not stop when you get married. All of a sudden now, you've got two sinners in one house. And that can be really 
difficult. Because over time, sickness comes, and financial pressure comes, and sexual frustration can begin to fester. And we promise for better or for worse, or richer or poorer, or sickness and in health, but we really had no idea what that meant. I remember um, one of the guys who used to uh, disciple me, we were going through that passage that we read this morning in Ephesians 5, and... Uh, He's like, boy, you don't have an idea what that means. And he goes, I said, sure I do. I know what it means. You know, I gotta love my, I'll love my, the wife that God gives me. Jesus loves the church. I'll serve her. I'll lay down my life. Oh, I'm so excited. He's like, you're so cute. He's like, That's, he's like, buddy, you don't know what you're signing up for. He goes, it's a wonderful thing. He goes, but you're living with another sinner. And you're a sinner. And marriage is it's hard. Even for Christians. Because we're still tempted to lie. We're still tempted to cheat, to be deceptive, to say hurtful things, to be impatient, for husbands to be passive and weak, for wives to become demanding and controlling. We are sinful people living in a fallen world. And few places really feel that more than in a marriage. But just because things are difficult, it doesn't change what God created marriage to be. When a couple steps to the altar and later consummates their marriage, they are united as one. In verse 6, Jesus says that divorce is is like tearing a body apart because the couple is one flesh. What God has joined together, let not man separate. This same kind of teaching is found in 1 Corinthians 7 by the Apostle Paul, where he says a wife must not separate from her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. The word there for separate, it's a synonym for for divorce. God's intent for marriage is that a husband and wife would remain together. He says that's what you promised to one another, and that's what you promised to the room of witnesses who were there, and that's what you promised to God. And that is God's design. It is God's intent that a man and a woman remain married. God goes so far in in Malachi 2 to say, I hate divorce. He says, I hate it. And the reason he hates divorce is because he loves marriage. God loves Marriage. He created marriage to be a reflection of the kind of love that He has for His people. A committed love that is faithful, that is enduring, that is always there. That's what marriage is to be. Marriage is supposed to be a display of of the way that Christ loved the church. It's supposed to be a display of the gospel, of God's love for for sinners. And the way that, that we respond to Him in love and obedience and honor. That's God's design. So Jesus tells the Pharisees that God says no to divorce for any cause. And the Pharisees here, they think they've got Jesus trapped. They're like, ah, is that what you think? Well, look again at verse 7. So they said to him, well then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Gotcha, Jesus. Then why did why, he give the divorce permission? 
if it's not supposed to be that way. Did Moses make a mistake in giving Deuteronomy 24? Is the law wrong then, Mr. Rabbi Jesus? That's what they would be saying. They wanted to trap him. And they wanted to get him to say, no, the law is wrong. But we remember that Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. So, he says, the reason that God gave this provision, verse 8 of Matthew 19, 19, 19.8, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning... It was not so. He said God didn't design it this way. He made marriage to be between a perfect man and a perfect woman. But we don't live in a perfect world anymore. And because of that, God gave a concession, as it were, for a time. It didn't do away with His original meaning for marriage. But it's dealing, back in Deuteronomy 24, with Israel's hearts. Because Israel's hearts have become numb and become dull and become hardened against God and become hardened against their spouses. They weren't receiving what God was saying. So the provision that God gave in Deuteronomy 24 was not His original intent for marriage. God's intent was for people to never get a divorce. He says, but because people have hard and sinful hearts, he allowed there to be a provision in some cases. And this is, by the way, if we're honest, where all divorces spring from. It's right here. It's the fact that in every divorce, it comes back to at least one person in the marriage having a hardened heart towards God. It's ultimately where it, where it comes from. For someone to get to the point of breaking the covenant that they swore to this other person and that they swore to God, it's a reflection of a deeper heart issue. It's not just things didn't work out and we're just kind of going on our way and me and Jesus are still cool and we're just going to be fine. Like He says, no, 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 this is a heart issue. The reasons that divorce happen is because of sin. There's sin that abides in hearts, and there's sins that comes out in our lives, and it scars other people. And that's why divorce happens. But we've got to know that, that, that this is the good news of the gospel. Is that regardless if we're married or unmarried, that, that yes, we have, we have hearts that are sinful and are numb towards God, But the good news is that God sent His Son, Jesus, to come and to live that perfect life like we were created to live, but that we wouldn't live and didn't live. To live that perfect life and then die on a cross. And the reason He died there was to take all of our rebellions, all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our turning from God, to take all of that and to heap it upon the One who didn't deserve it, who died in your place and in mine. And then He rose from the dead. And now He promises forgiveness and mercy, and a new heart for any and all who will turn from their sins and who will trust in Him. He says, turn away from those rebellions. It's done nothing but destroy you. Turn unto Me, and I will give you new life. That's the call of Christ, and that's the hope of of sinners, and that's the hope of any marriage. Jesus, coming back to this topic of of what is the any cause then? What does that mean? Well, verse 9 says, And I say to you that whoever divorces his wife 
except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. Jesus says, God is not in favor of the any cause interpretation of Deuteronomy 24. The reason is because when you're married, you're united as one. And if you leave your spouse for any reason other than adultery, and you marry another person, he says, you commit an act of adultery. This is basically the same thing that Jesus said back in Matthew 5. So if you want to go back there for a moment. Matthew 5, 32. I'll read it again. Jesus speaking, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So, if someone is divorced for a non-biblical reason, they are not just free agents. The Bible says you're not a free agent. God says you are still married. And if you unite with somebody else, it is an adulterous act. Why? Because marriage in the eyes of God is more than just a piece of paper. It's it's, it's more than just a contract or a mailing address. Marriage is the uniting of two people in one flesh. And the only way that remarriage isn't adulterous is if the marriage covenant is broken. And that happens through three ways. Death, Romans 7, 1 through 4, you can read later. Through certain cases of abandonment, which we'll talk about in a moment in the, in the, in the question section. And through divorce following sexual immorality. The word there for sexual immorality in verse 32 is the Greek word porneia. We get our modern day word pornography. It's, it's, a, it's a word used to, to summarize any kind of, of sexual activity outside of, of marriage. And Jesus says, unless you are coming out of a divorce where that was the cause, that a spouse was unfaithful sexually, you cannot remarry because you are still bound to the other person in God's eyes. Now, does that sound intense to you? Does that sound pretty severe? You don't need to turn back there, but 19, where we just were, verse 10, the disciples said this to Jesus right after he taught that. He said, they said this, If such is the case of a man and his wife, it is better not to marry. They said, wow. They said, that's... This marriage stuff is serious, Jesus. And that's his point. Marriage is, it's a serious thing. And we talked about it last week. It is a wonderful thing. It is a God-glorifying thing. If God gives that to you, it's a wonderful gift. But it's a serious gift. It is a weighty stewardship. And that's, I think, what Jesus wanted his disciples to see and what he wanted the Pharisees to see 
and what he wants us to see. And I think, I think that kind of sobriety would be really good for us today as we think about, for those of you who are single and who desire to be married, that is a good thing. Praise God for that. And as, as you're listening to this message, hear it with, with the weight that comes with it as well. Listen, as I shared last week, I, was, I, I wanted to be married a, a lot earlier than I ended up being married, but in God's providence, he worked it out exactly right, which hindsight, you always see that, but... But that I wanted to be married. So for those of you who are single, continue trusting the Lord for his timing. Do not compromise. Keep waiting. Because one of the tricks that the devil wants to do is he wants you to forget this weightiness that comes with marriage and tempt you to compromise in regards to the person that you would marry. And I want you to know that being single and being alone is hard. But being married and being alone is harder. Trust God and wait upon Him. And as you step towards it, don't be be fearful in the way of like, gosh, I'm never going to do that, but in a way that that comes with sobriety and and you're, you're feeling the weight of what Jesus wants us to feel here. Because there is grace and there is mercy. But that is Jesus' stance on divorce and remarriage. So then, then what if? Okay, so what about this? What about that? Um... I, I can't do it all. I've got seven of them here. We're going to work through seven questions that sometimes come up with this. Uh, if I don't answer your question, it doesn't mean it's not important. It doesn't mean that, uh, yeah, it doesn't mean it's not important. So please come if you're like, yeah, but what about this? We'd love to talk with you further about it, okay? But let's, let's consider a few, a few questions that come up when we do this, this kind of talk. Number one, what if there's, abuse or abandonment. So we, we've, heard that, we've heard that divorce, we've heard Jesus say that divorce is, is allowable only for, for sexual immorality, and we see elsewhere through death. But what about in cases of, of abandonment or, or, or abuse? Does God allow for divorce in those cases? Let's take abandonment first. 1 Corinthians 7 is a good chapter to read later this, this, this afternoon, this week. I'll just read for you verse 15. It says this. If the unbelieving partner separates or leaves the marriage, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not bound, meaning not bound to to remain married. So the scenario is this in Corinth. You've got people who've never heard of Jesus. They start hearing about Jesus. Somebody comes to know Jesus. A husband comes to know Jesus, but he's married to a wife who doesn't know Jesus. She thinks he's crazy. You're praying to a God that you can't see. God has a son. I'm out of here. She wants to leave because he wants to live for Jesus now. He loves his wife. He wants to stay with her. But she says, listen, I'm out. I'm not doing this. I'm leaving you. 1 Corinthians 7 says, you can let her go. So if the unbelieving spouse wants to go, you you let them go, and then later on in 1 Corinthians 7 says that you're, you're free to remarry as long as you marry somebody who is a Christian. Okay? So, now, one question may come So, is this contradicting what Jesus said? No, it's, it's, it's complementing it. It's, it's, a, it's just a fuller explanation of what Jesus was saying. Because the oneness of marriage is what Jesus was protecting with his, um, his words. When someone abandons that and leaves it and forsakes it, the marriage covenant is, is broken. 
Now, these are not cut and dry things, and there's a lot of case-by-case situations here, but, but another thing that comes up under this, this same topic of what if there's abandonment is what happens if, if a Christian wants to abandon another Christian? They say, listen, it's just hard. I'm done. I'm out of here. Uh, you can, listen, we'll just, we'll just forget it. We would say no. Say, God says no, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to leave your spouse. And if someone would persist in rebelling against God and doing that, it would begin to raise serious questions about their profession of faith and whether they truly are following after Christ and could ultimately lead to a case of church discipline. Now, again, that, that, seems, that seems severe to some, but I want you to know that that's, that's just what the Scriptures say. Okay? But what about, what about abuse? Unfortunately, we do live in a world where there is abuse. And unfortunately, sometimes it happens in in marriage. Some of you have witnessed it. Some of you have been the victims of it. First, let me say this, that there should never be a reason that a spouse abuses the one that they're married to. Never anybody, but particularly to the one that they've covenanted with before God and promised to honor and love until death do they part. It should never be the case. It is a horrible distortion of authority. It lies about God and it devastates the person that it happens to. So if there is a case of abuse and we as the elders find out about it, the first thing that we do is get that person out of there. Their safety is is of primary importance. We want to get them out and help them to find a place that's safe. Uh, unfortunately, I've been, I've been a part of several of these where there was one spouse abusing the other and we, we, we got a hold of them, they wanted to go, and we went and we got them and we got them a safe place to be and we began the long process of, of thinking through what, is, what does this mean? And just to, to, to cut to the, the, the short of it, that abuse could also fall under the category of abandonment. And we would have to take it on a case-by-case basis, and the elders would hear that and pray through that and think through that. So um, pray, for, pray for us to have wisdom. Pray that God, that, that that wouldn't happen in our congregation or among those that we love. But that if it does, that we would, we would know how to handle it well. And I just want to say that if, if this is you and you're in that situation, it takes courage. It really does, and it's scary to step out and say, I need help. But reach out. God has provided a, fa- a church family that loves you and wants to help. Reach out. Okay. The second, second question is, what if, what if you have biblical grounds for d- divorce? What if you do have biblical grounds for a divorce? I certainly hate, hope that this is not the case, but if some of you are listening to it right here on the, on the podcast, please Please know that it is, I I can't imagine how hard it is to have a spouse who would be unfaithful or who would abuse or abandon. I prayed for you when I was putting this together and we will, as a church, continue to pray. But know that the Lord does understand and that he is able to comfort you in the midst of whatever pain it is that you're facing. Christ is an ever-sufficient Savior and he will walk with you through this. But unfortunately, there are times in this life where wounds just seem too deep and the betrayal seems too severe. I could, I could go through all kinds of heartbreaking stories. You 
you've heard them too. But I want you to also know that just because Jesus gives the provision that you can be divorced doesn't mean that you have to be divorced. Doesn't mean that you have to. God can restore and reconcile marriages. He doesn't always, but he can do that. Carrie has some friends who live in North Carolina who tasted this kind of grace firsthand. They'd been married for a while. They had two teenage kids. The wife had gotten off into to getting drunk and drugs and began, began messing around, and the husband was into to much of the same. And, and God just brought them to a place where it's a fork in the road, and they went and started getting some counseling. By the grace of God, they both came to know Jesus, and they both repented of their sins. And now, today, they love the Lord. They're happily married. And the wounds that were taken out of them through all of that pain has been filled up with the grace of God, and they are, they are living out of that grace in a way that, that really is a, is a wonderful testimony to, to God's mercy. But if that's, if that's not you, and you just, or if you feel like you, you don't know if that's you and you want to talk through that, please come and talk to the elders. We want to help you think through this. Talk about this with other believing friends. Don't do this alone. Thirdly, what if you've already been divorced for a biblical reason? So you've been divorced for a biblical reason. This would also uh, apply to people who are widowed. 1 Corinthians 7.39 says, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to, re- to, to be married to whom she wishes, wishes only in the Lord. Same thing would happen for somebody who is divorced for biblical reasons. If you're divorced for biblical reasons, you are free to remarry as long as the person's a Christian. You marry somebody who's, who's a Christian. If this is you, and all of these kind of end like this, if this is you, please come and talk to us. If you feel like this, this might be your situation, um, we'd like to know about it so that we can help you think through what it looks like to, to walk through this journey of, of maybe seeking to be remarried one day. We'd love to help you think through it. Fourthly, what if you're in a really hard marriage but don't have biblical grounds for divorce? Again, I want to say that I am sorry that you are in a very hard situation. I, I, can't, I can't imagine how difficult that is to go through day in and day out with little hope. But the Lord says that if you're married, that you are married. Until death do you heart. You swore to your spouse and to God that you would keep your vows. And just hear me really clearly, and this is, this is hard love, but hear it. Divorce is not an option. She's just got to take it off the table. It's not an option if you're a Christian and you don't have biblical grounds for divorce. It's, it's just not an option. And there's something that happens when you know it's not an option and you take that off the table and you stop saying the D word and you, you start... You start leaning into the Lord in a, in a fresh and new way. God can bless that. My, many of you met my friend Reagan, who was here last week. He shared this publicly in numerous situations. He's fine with me sharing it with you. When I first met him about a decade ago, his marriage was about done. It was, 
it was about over. In their testimony, they'll, they'll tell you that they, wouldn't, they weren't able to communicate without fighting. There was no sexual intimacy for a long time. There was constant bickering over how money would be spent and how he would, you know, in-law stuff, all of that. And I remember when I began meeting with him, he's like, I have no idea how this is going to work. And when they shared their testimony for, for their church, in it, the wife, Jennifer, says, we got to the point that was so bad that I was certain that one of us had to die because we could not keep living like this. And what, what really seemed to be the fork in the road was my friend Reagan had a conversation with another guy who was going through a really hard marriage as well, and that guy told him, he said, listen, let me show you a verse. And he showed the one about if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He said, brother, this is part of what it means to take up your cross and follow Christ. is to love your wife even though you don't feel like doing it and to be faithful even though you don't, be, you don't want to be faithful. And my friend Reagan said he went and sat down with Jennifer and he told her, he said, listen, I need you to know something. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I'm never leaving. And I'm going to love you. And he said, I shouldn't have said this. He goes, but, and I don't want to love you. He goes, but I'm going to love you. He goes, and the reason is because Christ has loved me. He said, he has been faithful to me. He has been merciful to me. And I need you to be merciful and faithful to me as well. And I'm going to do everything I can by the grace of God to be faithful and, and merciful to you. And God has just up and healed their marriage. He has, it has been, it's amazing. And it wasn't like an overnight, like, oh, we trust Jesus, everything's okay. Golly gee, that's not how it worked. This was, this was a couple years. But that light at the end of the tunnel wasn't a train anymore. It was the glory of God, and they kept pressing in and pressing in and pressing in, and God worked a miracle. And I want you to know that no matter how bad you think your marriage is today, God can fix anything. He can do that. Please don't do it alone. Come and talk to us. Number five, what if you've already been divorced for a non-biblical reason and have not remarried yet? You've already been divorced for a non-biblical reason and you have not been remarried yet. The Bible's, the Bible's really clear. The Bible's really clear that our condemnation in Christ is taken away. But there are consequences in this life for our sin. And I would encourage you to come and to talk to the elders about it. Help us to think through it with you. But you've got to know there's a, there's a good chance that the counsel may be that, that you need to remain single for the glory of God. I know that's hard. I had, I had, a, friend, I had a friend that I walked through this with for, for a long time. He was, in, he, was, you know, he was in his mid-40s. He had been divorced. It was a hard marriage. But he didn't have biblical grounds for the divorce. And he, he was convinced. He's like, you know what? I know what Jesus says. It says it right there. There's no way to kind of get around that. And I think he made the right decision to walk in that. And I want you to know that it may be hard, but the grace of God is sufficient for whatever we face. And we'll be happy to help you think through it if you're not sure if that's you, let's talk about it. Let's pray through it. Let's seek, let's seek God's word together that he might lead in a way that would be clear. Number six, 
What if you've already been divorced for a non-biblical reason and you have remarried? So you've been divorced for a non-biblical reason, but you're already remarried. I want to say while it would be hard to work through all of the rubble, it is important to make sure that you are at peace with God about this. You need to know that if you have been divorced for a non-biblical reason and you have remarried, no matter you know, how wonderful things may be now, what happened then was an act of adultery. Jesus says it was. It was an act of adultery. It doesn't mean you're in ongoing adultery. It means it was an act of adultery. It severed the marriage. And there needs to be confession of that sin. There needs to be repentance of that sin. There may need to be reaching out to your former spouse through, through a letter or something like that and you know, with talking through it with your current spouse. But there needs to be confession and repentance of that sin. I have some other friends who were both married. They were young. They worked together. And they, they both left their respective spouses for one another. They were professing Christians at the time. He was disciplined from the church that he was at. They've since been married for creeping on three decades, at least 25 years or so. Um, they're walking with the Lord today. But when we began talking through this aspect of their life, they both realized that they had some, some work that needed to be done. And they both wrote letters to their former spouses, asking for forgiveness, confessing their sin, and sent them. They did, they did everything that they could do within, within reason to be able to work through that and to repent and to guard the marriage that they're in now. I want you to know if that's you, we want to help you think through how to do that wisely. But we've got to do something. We can't just sweep things under the rug and pretend that they don't happen. God's mercy, though, will carry you through. And finally, what if you have been divorced and are struggling to forgive? What if you've been divorced and you're struggling to forgive? The memories haunt you, and I can't imagine how deeply wounded some of you are with this, but the Lord calls us to forgive those who have sinned against us, and for us to pray for our enemies, and for us to love our enemies, even if that might be a former spouse. To forgive means that you are agreeing to no longer hold that person responsible for what, what has happened but that you have canceled the debt. You have given it to Christ. You have said, Lord, you have forgiven me of much. I I am going to forgive them. Help me. And when it comes back up in your mind and the bitterness comes back up and the resentment comes back up, Lord, help me take that. It can be a process. It can be a long process. But to harbor bitterness and anger, I just want you to know, is a trick from Satan to destroy the next season of your life. He is crafty and he wants to destroy, he wants to destroy you. So if that's, if that's you, there's, you can't just talk about it up here. We, we want to talk with you and help you think through how might you work through this process of forgiving someone and asking God to give healing. And just in thinking through this topic, we'll close with this. I just want, I want to, I, want to, I don't know what it's done for you, what it's done for me is it's really brought me to the awareness again that we are all messed up. 
that everybody in this room and everybody who hears this and everybody we come in contact with, we wear, may wear little masks that look happy and everything's good, but we are all people who are wounded in this world. And you've got to know that Christ is a good Savior. And that is why He has come. He has come to forgive our sins, yes, but also to heal our lives, to restore peace and wholeness. And He can do that through grace if we will just turn to Him. So let us be a people that that help one another through this and that seek Christ and come soon, Lord Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that you even give us weighty words that cause us to be sobered in a day that, that we are called not to be sober in our minds, just to be thinking about all kinds of other stuff and distracted and to be mind-numbed. Lord, we thank you that your word pricks us in our hearts and we pray that you might use this in each of our lives in whatever way you, you, you need to. If we are single and desire to be married, God, comfort us as we wait and trust you. God, guard our hearts against discontentment and bitterness and resentment. Father, Pray particularly for those who are waiting. God, give them grace. Father, we pray for those who have been through divorce or who have loved ones who have been through divorce and they're just scarred up. God, give grace. Heal their wounds. Bring bring mercy to them and use that pain to remind them that this world is not their home. Help them to long for that day when there will be no more crying or tears or pain, that you will make all things new. Father, we pray for the marriages in this church and those that we know and love, that you would protect them, you would put a hedge of protection around them, that husbands would lead and love their wives in a sacrificial, God-honoring, servant-hearted way, and that wives would love and adore and cherish and revere their husbands, and that, God, you would bring much glory to yourself through marriages here. And, God, we pray that it would never be the testimony of any marriage here at Delray Baptist Church, that there would be a divorce. God, we pray that we would be able to to boast in you for protecting us from that. But Lord, we are well aware that we are not above it. We need your mercy. So grant it to us now, we pray. In the name of Christ, amen.